Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, and experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Marquia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering in the dark with us for the first time, welcome. At any time, we could think that we know exactly what's going on. What we see, what we hear, what we taste is the truth, is a fact. But... Sights and sounds can blind our judgment if they're under the control of sinister powers. Does a mask hide fangs? Can forces embed dangerous visions in our minds? Bright spotlights can hide many things behind them, leaving you delirious and wondering if it's all a real threat or just a morbid illusion. First, you can't escape the shape-shifting yaksha. Next, an immersive audio journey into our third eye to trick our minds. And finally, we hear the true story behind Bright Like Knives with the writer, Ivan Salazar. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Shape-shifting Yaksha. There is a shape-shifting monster that roams abandoned houses and buildings. Be wary of buildings you enter. You may never come back. No one knows for sure where this monster is, but when you see it, you can't run, you can't scream, you can't even breathe. It paralyzes you. It is called the Yaksha. Ronan was bummed to be spending summer with his mom, Mindy, and her new boyfriend, Dev. It was Dev's suggestion that they stay at his family's beach resort in Goa, India. He boasted that it was better than any overhyped tourist destination. A palace by the sea for free was all he had to say to get Ronan's mom to agree to the trip. Much to Ronan's dismay, Dev picked him up from the airport alone. Your mom's on a tour of the city, Dev explained. Ronan sighed. His mom had only been dating Dev for a few weeks, and now he was stuck spending quality bonding time with a guy he barely knew. 
His mom, Mindy, was head over heels for Dev. And while Ronan was still trying to adjust, he didn't blame her. His dad was currently on his honeymoon with his new wife in Hawaii. But as soon as they stepped foot on the resort, Ronan wished he had somehow tagged along to Hawaii with his dad. The hotel didn't live up to the hype that was originally promised. It was run down, bare, and a bit plain. As Dev smiled and motioned toward the building, a snake tattoo on his arm caught Ronan's eye. As he stared at it, weirdly enough, it almost looked like it was staring back. Like the snake eyes seemed to follow him. Ronan rubbed his eyes and shrugged it off as jet lag. His flight out of New Jersey had been long and full of bad plane food. Once inside, Ronan also noticed the place seemed unsettlingly empty. Seeing the look of confusion on Ronan's face, Dev explained that the hotel was undergoing renovations and it was technically close to the public. Mindy and Ronan were accompanying him while he took care of the place during its off season. Ronan rolled his eyes. Hey, at least no one will hog the Wi-Fi, Dev offered. Before he could complain that the signal wasn't that great, Dev welcomed him with a tray of fresh seafood. It was as if it suddenly appeared. Ronan loved seafood, so he dug in, putting aside his grievances that he was stuck on Dev's work trip for the foreseeable future. We're staying in the Royal Suite, room 1367. Don't get lost, I'm gonna go check the grounds, Dev said, leaving Ronan a key. Sitting alone, Ronan felt as if someone was watching him. He heard some crying off in the distance toward the halls. Apprehensive, Ronan followed the noise he was certain sounded like a little girl. Beware the Yaksha, he heard a voice as he made his way through the hall. He took my mommy, he'll take yours too. He saw a little girl run into the double doors ahead, followed by a loud splash. When he got closer, the door swung open and he saw a small body floating in the motel swimming pool. It was covered in snake bites. He blinked and the girl was gone. Spooked and wondering what a yaksha was, Ronan tried to look it up on his phone, but only half the page loaded. The yaksha, a spirit that devours travelers in abandoned places. Horrified, Ronan tried to call his mom, but there wasn't a signal. Was Dev a yaksha? It was getting late, so maybe she was already in the room. If he could get to her, he could urge her to leave. He had a feeling that Dev wasn't to be trusted. He put the key into the door and barged into the room. Mom, we have to go. I think Dev isn't. A sharp hiss hit his ears, and there he saw Dev. His snake tattoo glowed green, and Ronan found himself completely unable to move. As he stood dumbfounded and paralyzed, his eyes adjusted to witness Dev for what he truly was. Before him towered a menacing serpentine figure with massive fangs. Dev was the Yaksha. Helplessly locked in the snake's green gaze, Ronan saw everything as he was slowly devoured whole. And then, darkness. Dev's phone rang as he bagged up the last of Ronan's belongings for disposal. He picked up the call from Ronan's mom as she asked him how Ronan was doing. Holding back a large burp, Dev replied, I'm sorry, love. Ronan decided on Hawaii after all and switched flights. But look on the bright side. It's just us now. Let's take a journey into the mind's eye. 
In this story submitted by Eoneth, we're invited to experience an audio psychological thriller. It always begins the same way. A slow-moving sensation crawling up my spine as I prepare for sleep. A sense of the shadows lengthening as they creep up along the walls. Tonight will bring the dream, I am certain. Exhaustion threatens to drag me away. I resist and try to stay awake. The pitter-patter of the rain on the windows seems sinister as I brew a cup of strong coffee. The full moon is high, and I shiver at what it reminds me of. I light the fireplace and read of adventure and war. I read, hour after hour, sitting in the most uncomfortable chair I own. Still, the moon is in the sky. It seems bigger now than it was. Closer. I turn a page. Lightning flashes past the window and I close my eyes in surprise. I don't even hear the thunder before I am dragged to sleep. I open my eyes. I find myself in a small room. No, not just a room, I realize. The wood-paneled floor sways from side to side. The sound of rain has been joined by the rhythmic clattering of wheels on tracks. A passenger train car, then. The colors here are bright and exaggerated, despite the dim light. The red of the carpet beneath my feet almost hurts my eyes to look at. I try to look out past a window framed by flickering gas lamps. I see nothing but the reflection of my own face. I turn away from it quickly. Something about my face was wrong. Twisted. A sliding door blocks my way out of the small space. I unlatch it and step into the dark hallway outside. I emerge from the farthest room on the right. The dark here is far from natural. Gas lamps lay lit on the walls but do little to illuminate the narrow space I find myself in. I see three other doors, each identical to mine. No doubt they lead to other rooms. I approach one. I lift my hand to knock. I hear a whimper from the other side punctuated by the sudden smell of rotting meat. I fail to suppress a wretch and stagger back. I approach another door. From behind it, hurried breaths and the insane muttering of a madman. I make my way quickly to the door that leads to the space between this car and the next. There is a window in the door and I see my reflection in it again. Wrong. Wrong. My hands find the knob and pull open the door. The click-clack of the tracks increases in volume as I step outside. Rain falls onto my face, fat droplets that leave ice-cold streaks on my skin. I notice for the first time that I am wearing a coat. The darkness pools in the crevices of the corrugated metal floor like the rain. There are no stars. There are no clouds. There is nothing but the blood-red cratered surface of the moon. It hangs at an angle and seems to take up much more of the sky than it should. I look off the side of the train, at the tracks. They sit atop an artificial rise. The light from the moon glints off the metal of the tracks and casts the gravel they rest on a pale shade of red. I look farther out. Something laps against the grass that surrounds the rise, a thick, viscous liquid. The stuff has a sheen like oil, rainbows of impossible colors playing along its pitch-black surface. It moves in ways I struggle to understand. 
It twists in on itself, parting and coming together like the vital fluid of a living nightmare. My head begins to hurt as I watch, and something warm trickles down onto my upper lip. I reach up. My nose is bleeding. I wipe the blood away and watch as the black liquid licks at a flower, smothering it. When it recedes, the flower and everything around it is gone, consumed. I look away, disturbed. A steel ladder to the roof of the train is bolted to the wall just to the left of the door into the next car. I am filled with an overwhelming urge to climb it. I fight against the urge, thrashing silently against my own body, but still I reach toward it. My hands grasp the metal bars. My arms drag me upward. My feet slip for a moment before finding purchase. I can feel my heart thumping in my chest. Finally, my fingers grasp at the slick roof and pull me up. The rushing wind bites through my soaked clothes and pulls my coat into the air behind me. The rain spatters on my face, and I raise an arm to block it. I see the moon more clearly here. It looks different, like the eye of some gigantic creature leaning down to watch the train. In the distance, there is a river. It cuts across the landscape like a festering wound. There is no water in the river. It is the source of the black liquid. A single bridge of stone and ironwork crosses the river and the tracks pass over it. Past the bridge, there is nothing, an empty abyss. I look back up at the moon. As I stare up at the eye, I feel its presence. Something, something impossible. The eye focuses on me, and I freeze in a way that has nothing to do with the icy rain and wind. I can feel an all-consuming anger building into rage. The black liquid below circles into obscene whirlpools. My teeth chatter. A roar fills the air. But to call it a roar would be an inadequate description. It is more like a quake in the very fabric of reality. A maddening vibration runs through me, twisting my mind and body inside out. A scream tears itself from my throat, and my heart nearly bursts from my chest. Or these things should happen. They don't. I stand perfectly still as the terror runs through me. The roar subsides, and I climb down the ladder. Calmly, my body opens the door to the next car and steps through. The door closes behind me with a soft click that feels much louder than it is. Another passenger car. The same blood-red carpet. The same gas lamps. The same four doors. I look back through the window to the space between cars and I see nothing but darkness. The car I left is gone. Swallowed by shadow, I can only go forward. I take slow, careful steps. Moans of suffering and occasional bouts of hysterical laughter filter through the doors. The sounds all seem more muffled than I expect, different from the other passenger car I woke up in. The doors to my right and left have small windows in them. Curiosity suppresses my caution and I look through one. On the other side is a man, crouching down near the far wall. His back is to me and I can see him move his arm wildly. Then... In a flash of lightning, I see the symbols. Arcane designs of indiscernible origin decorate the walls and ceiling. They are scratched into the wood and tinged a rust red. 
The symbols seem to swim in my vision and feel like the visual equivalent of someone dragging nails across a chalkboard. In the faint light from the gas lamps within his room, I see that the man's finger, worn to the bone, is his writing implement. I stare, enwrapped. Despite my silence, the man turns abruptly to face me. His eyes are wild, and the rictus grin on his face breaks into a cacophony of hideous laughter. I start and crash into the opposite door. The window in it shatters, and a piece of glass cuts across the back of my hand. I barely notice. The other sounds in the car cease. For a moment, there is silence broken only by the clattering of the tracks and the drumming of the rain. Then I begin to hear the sound of rattling chains coming from the space the previous car once occupied. I make a dash for the door to the next divider between cars and pull it open. I'm assailed by the rain. I close the door behind me. Here too, there is a ladder just to the left. Once again, I feel the overpowering urge to climb it to the roof. No, I do not wish to. I do not wish to see the eye. I do not want the eye to see me. My hands find the bars and my body begins to pull me upwards. Ahead lies the bridge. Closer now. Much closer. The black liquid is lapping against the tracks. It advanced in the time I spent in the car. It consumes the metal hungrily, removing entire chunks from existence. Somehow, the train stays its course instead of toppling into the deep. I look up hoping against hope to find the sky empty. It is not. The blood-red eye stares down. It roars. My mouth drops open as my mind is ripped apart and put back together. When the roar ends, I stand on the roof of the train car, battered by the rain. I descend the ladder and open the door to the next car. A dining car. The smell of rot is strong here, and I cover my mouth and nose with my sleeve. There are four tables set, each with four places. Platters sit at the center of each table, some indescribable thing in each. Around the platters lie plates, silverware, and cloth napkins. Each of the implements is stained with the evidence of a meal. I pick my way forward as quickly as I dare. I do not wish to remain in this place. Whatever made a meal here must have been as monstrous as what they ate. Another door lies ahead. On the opposite side, the space between two train cars. I know I will find a ladder there. I know I will be compelled to climb it. I despair as I open the door. I despair as my feet carry me into the rain. I despair as I climb the ladder. I know I must look at the eye but I fight to delay it as much as I can. My eyes wander along the landscape. The black fluid is even higher now, biting into the wheels of the train. The bridge is just ahead. The only thing untouched by the devouring darkness or... No, there is something else the liquid cannot eat away. Glinting in the damnable light of the red moon, I see chains. Each link the size of a small building, four anchors plunge into the river of shadow. From each comes four chains. They arc up, and I follow them to a shape, barely discernible. It looms above. 
It is a malformed impossibility, and my vision begins to swim as I see the eye. It strains against the chains that bind it. They creak, threatening to snap. They relax, and the creature roars this boundless fury. As I feel my body being torn apart by the roar, I wake up in my chair. The fire has died to ashes, and sunlight streams through the window. I shiver, and my book falls off my lap. As I reach down to pick it up, I notice the fresh cut on the back of my hand. The author of this story, Ioneth, I worked with our story coordinator to bring the story to you, our Something Scary audience, in its entirety. You can find more work from this author at www.eonethh.com. We're constantly trying different things here at Something Scary. Would you be interested in a more moody and ASMR style type of horror? Let us know that and any SMR horror authors that you'd be interested in us working with. You can email us at somethingscary@snarled.com. And we complete today's episode with our spooky story writer, Ivan Salazar, who shared with us the true story behind Bright Like Knives. You can see the video version of the story Bright Like Knives and also this interview on our channel, youtube.com slash snarled. Uh, hey, my dark darlings, it's Marquia with Something Scary. And today we're going to try something a little bit different. We, we heard you from all the comments and everything. You are extremely interested in Bright Like Knives. Uh, we have the author here uh, because, you know, it was based on a true story. So we are going to talk with Ivan Salazar. Thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys uh, for inviting me to be able to talk with you. Yeah, well, we are, we're curious. Everybody wants to know. <laughs> so uh, first off, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about you? Like, what do you do yeah. in, your, in your normal not scaring us to death? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I work in like uh, comics and manga, like specifically, uh, I'm the senior marketing director for uh, Karancha USA Publishing. So uh, Karancha is like uh, one of the manga publishers that will publish stuff like uh, Akira, Sailor Moon, Hardcaptor Sakura, like stuff like that. And like, there's also like a range of other stuff we publish. It's just like, those are some of the most like well-known. Uh, Attack on Titan is uh, one of the, you know, things we publish. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, on my day-to-day -day job, I just do uh, marketing for them. So, you know, anything that helps promote uh, the publisher, like the books that we have coming out, um, and just, you know, us in general, like I help out with. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's what I'm going to do on my day job. Excellent. Yeah, uh, a lot of our audience is also huge anime fans. So, yeah, yeah I have to <laughs> on Attack on Titan. Uh, so, yeah, so... Ivan, this was the first story that you've uh, written for us uh, for something scary. It will yeah. not be the last one because it was just—it <laughs> was that great. Oh, thank you. Okay, but um, a lot of our stories are user submitted, mm. uh, but this particular story, Bright Like Knives, uh, it is based on a true story. So yeah, we would love to know. <laughs> inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, what's it called? Yeah, like I don't know. Like uh, I hope this doesn't like uh, break any of the 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 mysticism or like the the mystery about it. Like I, uh, first of all, uh, I I'm not actually in jail or did not go to jail uh, for the murder of my friend Denny. Um, uh, a lot of the framework of it was uh, uh, pretty much the same. Like, so what it was is like I really did go with my friend uh, Dennis, uh, who I changed to Denny. Um, through a, like a 12 hour karaoke session uh which was kind of like intense uh and also like uh a lot of like odd stuff started happening like um i don't know uh i i am a fan of uh certain mystical things like i, I like tarot i think that there is something uh interesting in the concept of magic and whatever that means is whatever it means to the individual really um and i had this idea at some point that um uh, karaoke in itself is a, a kind of magic like you you dawn on the uh the, the song of another artist and you basically become them for like three minutes at a time and i think it's like uh a it's a fun distraction uh b if you like really like an artist i think that there's an interesting way to connect with them uh and uh see like just like feeling the music and then just like getting lost in it is like this really interesting like uh headspace to just like you know when certain like you know, people who do magic or like meditation and stuff that talk about the idea of like just sort of like letting go. Uh, I feel like karaoke does that, and sometimes uh, for me. Um, and after twelve hours of doing that, uh, things started getting a little weird. Uh, just a lot it of like way creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, like, uh, we did it across three venues, which is in the story. Um, and the first venue ended up like working great like uh everything went off without a hitch there's no confusion amongst who was gonna singing perfect perfect time the second time uh if you've ever seen the looney tunes episode where these little like gremlins are breaking apart a ship like an airplane that bugs is trying to fly it felt like those aerial gremlins were like manning the a karaoke machine so you would often get like wrong people going up uh misnamed people or or songs just like messing up in the middle of it and i was like okay these are fun curveballs that the universe is throwing at us but we'll we'll figure it out there was one point where uh um, I had put in a, a Beatles song, and I guess somebody named uh, Ivy was a. Uh, oh, my name's Ivan. Uh, the announcers at some point are like Ivy. Um, oh wait, Ivan. And I was like, oh okay, that's weird. I felt like I went up recently, but you know, whatever, that's fine. And I, as I was passing, I was like, hey, like uh, I did a Beatles song. Like, is that is that what that is? Like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And so I went up, and it was a not the right one. And uh, it what the song was uh, was Hey Jude which uh, it's like, I don't know, like an eight minute song, but like six minutes of it are improvised Hey Jude. <laughs> it, it, there's no like actual lyrics that you could follow. It's just, you know, make it up. And and so I was like, hey, this isn't my song. It's like, oh, I think there's an actual Ivy because I see your name here, Ivan, like a few songs down. And, and I was like, oh man, I never want to do this karaoke song because I know the six minutes that you have to like, just like slog through. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well maybe I should step down. And uh, because this was the gauntlet, Dennis yelled out, no, gauntlet, stay up and do the song. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that is what we signed up for. Okay, let's, let's do this. And so I did the song and once I hit to the six minutes of like just improvise hey jude um i had no real plan and i just sort of like let go and just try to improvise as much like i i am a big fan of the beatles and like 
heard their songs several times over and knowing the general structure of the song and just being like, okay, if I do this in this way, and this is how the song goes, it'll, it'll sound right. And then at some point it just like stopped being me. Like I kept, I stopped thinking about it and just did it, whatever felt natural. And there are times like that, that I always talk about, uh, the idea of uh, touching the infinite, like it's a it's a Stephen King idea from like it, uh, where you you essentially like go beyond your your consciousness and are now touching something else. And uh, you know it's funny because like some writers would actually uh, consider that it's called like the flow, like when you have like all the ideas popping and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like you're writing as some as much as it is like a story flowing through you and. There are uh, similar, like, I wouldn't have had that experience if not for the weird, like, curveballs that, like, the universe was throwing at us. Um, and then, so, you know. What it, what it sounds like to me, then, is you you and Denny, well, Dennis. Dennis, yeah. <laughs> you went through 12 hours of karaoke, but with that, with the, the experience that it is for you, you stopped being yourself and it sounds like you let the other world kind of steer the both of you in the direction that you need it to do yeah. that it needed for you to go in and yeah. it kind of makes me feel like these creepy occurrences that were happening to you were steering you towards this ultimate you know this ultimate confrontation yeah with her. can you can you tell us of course yeah it, it in those like instances i, I you know, and this this was in like a earlier uh, version of the story. Uh, I talk about the idea of knocking on the door of the universe, and it felt like those twelve hours were kind of that in a way that we weren't expecting. So when something knocked back, that's kind of what happened on the road. Like we'd finished, and we're like both pretty tired, and like uh, I knew that there was like a Denny's nearby, um, and so I was like, "Hey, you want to grab some food? I know a place." He's like, "Yeah, sure." Well, um, and it, it really no, was. Right. Yeah. No. No. This was actually in Los Angeles. Oh, this is Los um, Angeles. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, which is why, like, the it, it was weird that um, I was just thinking about the day uh, uh, listening to a playlist of like I, I try to keep track of all the songs that I sing uh, and put in a playlist like throughout the day, um, and so I was just like playing that in the car as the GPS was telling me to turn here and there and stuff like that. Uh, I was sort of just zoning out and paying attention to where I was supposed to make turns. And at some point I did hit a stretch road that like, although like I lived in this part of LA for like, just like three years at this point, this was like super unfamiliar, like uh, a super unfamiliar road. And I didn't understand that. I was like, wait, where am I? Like, I thought I knew the different places around it, but because it was dark and because I'd never, you know, driven around this area at like 2 a.m. at night, I was just like, oh, okay, this is weird. But yeah, I think I know where I am. But yeah, like in the story, it was like sparsely lit and chatting with uh, with Dennis. Uh, and then like a mile down the road, I start seeing like this, like basically like this body, like moving like across the road and it really did have like a weird look and feel like it was moving very slowly it was kind of shuffling and the closer I got like I did see that they were like doing some like weird arm motions and like the walking didn't quite look right and where like the the story is real up until is like really just on the drive on the road seeing the person and it really was this thing where I 
wasn't exactly sure what I was looking at when the lights like came on it or like, you know, on the person, like looked like a normal person. And they did do, they had their back facing to us. And once the light hit them, they did that pirouette turn. Um, and really on their face was this giant smile. And I always tell people like in, in terms of like the real life thing that like it felt like it could have been a trick of the light or just my imagination. But I did see like almost completely black eyes and it, it like once once I saw that I was like all right we're out of here like <laughs> Dennis was like I, you know I don't know what that is but we need to get away right now and we're like oh hell yeah we're, we're gone we are gone uh and I just like you know sped away because like you know I you know I am a fan of the supernatural and you know I've, I've grown up with like ghost stories my entire life and it's one of those situations that felt like there was something out there reaching and I did not want to know what it was and uh yeah when we got to Denny's um you know I I couldn't stop thinking about it and I asked Dennis like yo like what did you see and he actually ended up like drawing this Dennis is an, uh, a comic book artist and writer and uh, he ended up like drawing this depiction on like a Denny's placemat uh, using my pen and like you know he he confirmed the giant smile and then like when he did the eyes they were like full black and it's just like they're like black eyes weren't they and I was just like yeah yeah that that was what happened and like I it's almost like I couldn't quite believe it until like somebody else confirmed it. But yeah, every every now and then, like you know, I, in the in one of the original uh, versions of the story, like I, I mentioned that like every now and then I like look behind in the rearview mirror to see if like I happen to catch you know that thing again. But what was kind of wild is that while I was writing the first draft of the story, uh, I ended up like going to, uh, to like uh, some place to like write. I, I I don't know. Sometimes writing in public uh feels uh pretentious i'm sure i'm hearing on the internet but like uh i don't know it just it's it's a nice way to tune out the world have a change of scenery than being locked up in your home but i was uh running a draft and then it, it was in this uh place called the block in downtown la that has this parking structure which is pretty ridiculous it's this giant spiral mm -hmm. um that is meant for that is meant for cars it's not meant for people to walk up. Uh, so when I was finishing up the first draft, I was like, okay, it's getting pretty late. I think I could stop here. I'll go home. I started driving down the spiral and halfway down, there was a person walking up it. And I thought, which I thought was weird enough. And then like, when I tried to like look at them, uh, they, ha they had their hand over their face and they were like sort of shuffling back and forth like this. And I was like, Okay, this is super weird, and and the sad truth about it is that uh, Los Angeles has an intense like uh, homeless uh, population, and uh, some of those uh, people like uh, suffer from like mental illnesses, and it could like easily be explained that it was uh, somebody who gotten lost, disoriented, and like now is just trying to you know make their way somewhere. Um, or it could be that being coming back to try to open the door that you knocked on. Yeah, I like that. It's just the coincidence of everything that just felt like very like, okay, this, uh, whenever I see things like that happen in succession, it's like, I feel like I'm the, on the right path. Uh, although being on the right path of like something scary is like a little bit like different. <laughs> like, oh no, I, I, I don't, I don't want to see too many scary things while I'm doing this thing. Um, 
yeah. Uh, so that 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 was the whole thing, and I, you know, I still think that it was uh, a pretty creepy experience. And like, you know, I've never seen a ghost. I've had some experiences, but like, this is probably one of the realest things that was just like, oh no, like, you know, uh, one of the things that I talked about in an earlier version was the idea that like, you know, once you see it, it sees you like whatever the universe is, whatever the is across the veil, like you become on the, you know, the radar of this thing. It's like, oh, now we can interact with you in different ways. I hope you're ready for that. (laughs) Oh man. If there's anything to to say exactly what that feeling is, where it's just like um, a lot of people go through life wanting to see ghosts. Like they, they want to be touched by the other world, by the supernatural, not really realizing that once you are, that, that door is open. Yes. And, and yes. then you have to deal with that next phase of your life of being aware. Yeah. And it's, I don't think people realize how good it is to not have that door open. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, like the like the 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 Hollywood version of it is uh, in Constantine, like the movie with Keanu Reeves. When you when he tells you the origin of like him as a kid, like seeing those things, like it, it is done in a very scary fashion. Where like you know, once he finally saw and accepted that he was seeing these spirits, like they just would not stop bugging him, and like in scarier and scarier fashions. Now, although that in some cases isn't that intense, I think that, you know, once you cross that threshold, if you go to certain places or do certain things that involve the spiritual and the supernatural, I think you become more of an antenna that, you know, it can gravitate towards. So don't be surprised when, you know, spooky things start happening in your home or in your life. Yeah, Um, you just, you evolve with it. It's just you... You put more tools in your toolkit then, you know, once that door is open and some people are born with that door open, others um, open that door without even realizing what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, no, there's, there's, there's life on the other side of that. (laughs) And every, every way I mean that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with you, Ivan, so now Mm -hmm. that this door has been open, I hope you're going to use this doorway to uh, give us some more stories told from your perspective. Uh, is there yeah. anything else that you would like for us to know about or to plug? Um, um our yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Uh, since we're, uh, since we're talking about like a uh, sort of like real ghost stories, like I, I, you know, I, I use the quotation marks because I did take some, you know, artistic license with the ending of, of the story, um, which, you know, was, was, Again, like uh, wonderful edits by uh, your team. Like I was like, you know, your audience, you know what they want. I was like, yeah, I think I can do this. I could figure it out uh, and still make it like a cool story. So in the vein of real ghost stories, uh, there's a, a manga that we actually publish uh, with Kanancha. It's called PTSD Radio. That if uh, if you're a fan of Stephen King's It or uh, uh, Jinji Ito's uh, Uzumaki. Like it is this kind of like short burst horror story anthology where all these stories feel like intertwined into like a greater horror, but you don't quite know what it is. You're just sort of like going through all these like creepy tales that feel like they're loosely related. Um, And I think in general, it's like a pretty good horror uh, manga. There's six volumes out, but what's neat is that at volumes five and six, 
the author takes uh, the last like few chapters to talk about this like real life ghost story that happened to him and how his health was actually affected because he tried to tell, he tried to recount a scary encounter that happened to him in uh, one of his like uh, studios that he rented for him and his assistants um, that he had found what he thought was like a broken piece of a, of a temple. Like it was sort of like bundled up in like wax paper and twine and stuff. And he had kind of disturbed it. It was like in an empty room in the studio that he had uh, rented uh, and that a bunch of weird stuff started happening to him. Like always hearing like noises, weird smells. At some point uh, in one of the other unoccupied uh, studio spaces, there were these um, panels missing like on the floor. Like imagine if there were like square tiles, like there would be like these squares missing. And that, like, it was this was on the bottom floor, so you, you could see in, but you couldn't really see. It was just like black. Um, and that uh, one of his assistants uh, is like, "Oh, you know, I heard you found something spooky in like one of the empty rooms uh, downstairs. Maybe I'm going to check it out before I leave." And they're like, uh, "That's not a good idea." It's like, "Ah, it'll be fine." And that the the manga artist got a call the next day from the assistant saying, um, "I can't go back to that space. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to look for another job." Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, the the craziest thing that happened to him is that when he tried to cr- write a story recounting the the scary thing that happened to him after he had disturbed that piece of the broken temple, is that um, suddenly his mouth started to get all these like blood boils, uh, and his skin started to like get irritated, and he went to the doctors to be like, "What is happening to me?" And after taking some blood tests, they were basically saying that like your white blood cells are essentially killing your red blood cells, and we can't figure out why. So you know, he started like going back to like you know what what is happening, what's the thing, and he's like, "Wait, I just did a story that had." these little monsters that were like coming out of this person's mouth. I think that's related. And then he realized that anytime that he tried to talk about that story and that happenstance, that weird things would happen. Like some people would have no real recollection of it. Like it happened to them. Like they were there and like they, as hard as they tried, they couldn't remember it. Or once they did remember it, like they just started feeling bad. And so he thought, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to tell what happened. And so he went back and revised this story to be like this piece, like because of certain circumstances, I cannot say what happened. And then he tells the rest of it. So he tells the lead up to it and the aftermath, but not the actual incident. And this like, it feels like a very real thing that happened to the manga creator which i think is like was one of the scariest things that i had read because it was just like oh like this actually happened like uh you know um comics has like grant morrison where he talks about um something bad happened to him while writing the invisibles anything that it was tied to the actual writing of the story this is what that felt like that something terrible was happening to this manga artist because he was being silenced from telling uh this like particular event so the series itself is pretty creepy on its own. But then when I got to that point, I was like, oh, man, this is insane. Man, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested. Yeah, uh, so. I know our audience will most definitely check out yeah. your horror uh, manga PTSD yeah. radio yep. because that is insane. <laughs> it is super cool. Like the, the art is really neat. And like the, the manga artist has a really good sense of what looks creepy on the page. So um, I, I, th- I think horror fans uh, will definitely like this series. 
Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want anybody to reach out to you on social media? Do you want to? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, like, uh, um, it's uh, at uh, Salazar, but spelled S A L A C is in cat. Uh, Z A R, like a Russian czar. Um, and I'm I'm that pretty much everywhere. Like uh, Facebook or not Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Awesome. Uh, Ivan, thanks so much for uh, scaring the crap out of us. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I want more of it. Uh, <laughs> and we'll hopefully have an interview with you again um, after one of your next stories you'll do for yeah, us. Whenever. Happy to do it. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Marco. This week's podcast stories were edited by Ianith, Sabina Graves, and Markia McCarty. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited by Fitz Harris. Graphics by Johnny Ashley. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.